there is something in me that wants to be accepted by other people. Uh, I care what people think about me, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one. We all kind of do. We want to be accepted, and uh, you know, like I said, I care about what other people think. Now, greatly, uh, gratefully, I've gotten to a point in my life where I don't care what other people think as much as I used to. I think the, the height of my life when I cared about uh, what others thought was high school. That's probably not terribly uncommon, right? Um, but in high school, I was obsessed with what other people thought of me. I thought that my value came based on what other people thought about me. And so I cared about how I looked, if I was dressed the right way. I worried about my hair all the time, which is ironic now. Um, I wondered if I said the right thing at the right time, if the jokes I made were funny. I often wished I could be better at sports so that, you know, I would be more popular because it seemed to be that the really athletic kids tended to be incredibly popular. And I even worried about whether or not I looked like I was worried too much about what people thought about me. You know, I didn't want to look like I cared because you know, it's not cool. you got to be chilled out a little bit. So um, in high school, I felt like worrying about everyone's opinion was a full-time job where I put in a ton of overtime. And again, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I know that all of us kind of tend to go through a phase like that. In fact, one thing I learned a long time ago is the people that say, I don't care what other people think, tend to be the ones who care the most. Um, This is why our moms ask us, you know, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump too? And we didn't always say it, but I'll bet a lot of us thought it. Well, yeah, I would. I'm not going to be the only idiot left on the bridge. Like, if everybody jumps, yeah, I'm going to do it. Why? Because we don't want to be left out. We don't want to be all on our own. We want to be accepted by those around us. And so what most of us have done at certain points in our life was we conformed. We conformed to be like the people around us because we wanted to fit in. We wanted to be accepted. Um, I remember (laughs) there was a short stint in my, uh, I think it was right at the end of junior high and getting into high school, when Jinko jeans were cool. And if you don't know what Jinko jeans are, they were these jeans that had these obnoxiously huge, uh, obnoxiously wide leg holes, okay? I, got, I even found a couple pictures of a pair that I had, okay? Oh, one disappeared. Anyway, that's the jeans I had. You can't see the other picture, whatever, uh, for whatever reason. But um, uh, they had these blue stripes on the side. The leg holes were probably about as big as my waist. Um, you got to think about, um, when I got into high school, I was this tall, but I weighed about 130 pounds. I was like a walking skeleton. And so I get these jeans with these huge, gigantic leg holes that I probably could have crawled through, but they were cool. That's what people were wearing. And so I didn't want to be left out. And because I wanted to be accepted, I just kind of conformed and wore these gigantic jeans that really highlighted that I had like zero muscle on my body at all. But again, I wanted to feel like I fit in. Um, so I know that, again, you, we've all got those things. What was the trend? Let us know in the comments. What was the trend that you took part in that now you look back and go, oh, no, that was totally ridiculous. Um, thankfully, I don't see a lot of pictures that my parents and my sister are able to dig up of this season of my life. So that's good that God uh, enabled me to live in a non-social media season. So that's always good. Um, but, but that's what we wanted. The reason why we did those things, right, is because we wanted to fit in. We, because rejection is so extremely painful. Rejection, it, to, to be told you're unwanted. To be told that that you're not good enough is absolutely soul-crushing. And so rather than feel the weight of that, we mostly, at various points in our life, have chosen to conform. Now, there's other catalysts that kind of lead us to conform. 
Sometimes it's not other people telling you that you're not worth it or telling you you're not cool or whatever. Sometimes it's, it's us. We look out at the people in, that we're surrounded by and we compare ourselves to them. And we see something in their life that they have that we do not. And we kind of ascribe value to that. This thing that they have that we think makes their life meaningful, makes their life successful. This thing that, they, that surely means that they have a, a satisfaction with their life that we don't have. And we try to get that thing. We try to conform to be like the person across the street. We try to, be, um, to attain this thing that we know probably makes them happier than what we are. And usually because we're looking at the superficial things when we start to compare ourselves to others, it's usually a lot of times money and stuff, okay? Um, but it could be something else, okay? It doesn't just have to be that they have a better car, a nicer house, or a remodeled kitchen. Sometimes you look at them and you th- see that they're in better shape than you, or that their kids get better grades than you, or their, their kids get into less trouble than your kids. Maybe um, you're, you're able to kind of look at them and you realize, man, they get 10 times more done in a day than I'm ever able to get done. I wish I could be like them. And so we conform. And that's what comparison can often drive us to do, to work to be like the people next to us. Because if we can just be like them, then we'll be important, we'll be successful, we'll be satisfied the way that we think they are satisfied. And so what we're doing is we're trying to become like the people around us to attain satisfaction, acceptance, whatever it may be. Now, um, even if we're not conforming intentionally, even if we're not trying to meet some emotional need um, that drives us to be like other people, chances are we're still kind of conforming to the people and the culture that we're around because culture has just a natural current to it. Culture has a bit of a flow, meaning that the culture you surround yourself with will naturally nudge you in a certain direction. It has an influence on you to shape and mold you. The people you spend time with, the news sources you listen to, the shows you watch, the blogs, the books that you read, the people groups that you follow on social media, all of those things are pushing you to see the world the way they see it, to act like they do, to think like they do. And because of this constant pressure to just conform, because it's absolutely everywhere and it's coming at us from all sides, it is possible for us to conform without ever even realizing that it's happening. So um, one of the things that is, in, is, incredibly, is an incredibly important, important theme in Scripture that we've been talking about for the last few weeks is the idea of holiness. Holiness means to be set apart from everything else, to be different from those things that are around you, to, to, to be separated from what is normal, or even those things that are evil and ungodly. And, and God has called his people to be holy. Throughout history, God always aspires and reaches out and asks his people to be holy and different than the world that they live in, to be distinct from the world they inhabit. And so we are meant to show the world, the reason God wants us to be holy is that we are meant to show the world what he is like. And that simply cannot be done if we are conformed to be like everyone else. We cannot show the world how great God is when we look entirely like our culture and nothing like God. That's just the reality. And one of the biggest problems plaguing the church today is Christians who have become just like a certain aspect of the culture that they have surrounded themselves with. Whether it's in search of acceptance, whether it's in search of trying to feel valued and that your life has some sort of meaning, 
whether it was intentional or it happened without you noticing, this idea that Christians are being conformed to our culture is absolutely devastating our churches. It is wreaking havoc in the lives of Christians. Uh, it is destroying our ability to have any credibility to share the gospel with people in our world. And so there's so many Christians today who hold very strong beliefs that embody behaviors that do not line up with what God wants us to be. And many even don't even know it. Maybe you're watching today and your life has been conformed to our culture. You're not living a life that honors God and you don't even realize it yet because you've been caught up in the slow nudging of culture and you've just slowly drifted in a certain direction without ever even realizing it. Now, today I want to take us to a story in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. This is quite a trip from where we've been so far in Scripture. So let me kind of tell you uh, how this fits in with the story that we've been covering this year. Uh, Several weeks ago, we were in Genesis chapter 12, where God made a promise to a man named Abraham. And Abraham, uh, this promise that God made to Abraham... Uh, serves as kind of an outline for the entire story of the Bible. And this promise was that God would help Abraham have a family tree that branched and branched and branched, a family tree so huge that his descendants would be able to be an entire nation of them, among themselves. They would be able to be their own country of people. That's how um, much prosperity and flourishing they would have in their family tree. And so God would help then this nation to find a piece of land that they would be able to live out their lives and call their own. Uh, And then through this people, God would bless the entire world. Through this family tree of Abraham, God would bless the entire world. And so we talked about last week how through the story of Exodus, God um, helps uh, these people grow to a point where he considers them a nation. He frees them from slavery in Egypt so that they are their own independent nation. He gives them the Old Testament laws to, decide, to, to guide and define how they're going to be a nation, what kind of nation that they're going to be. And then they enter in, in the book of Joshua, they get into the land, and, and they take this piece of real estate to be their own in a place where they can be this nation of Israel. And um, when they get into this land, one thing that God tells them over and over again is that he wants them to be a holy people. He wants them to be different from every other nation on earth. He doesn't want them to be like every other country in existence. And one of the major differences was that Israel originally was not supposed to have any kings. They weren't supposed to have a king. Uh, God was meant to be their king. So rather than charging into battle with a king um, on a big old mighty horse in front of them with some golden armor and a big old powerful sword, they were going into armor trusting that God would be their victory. Um, So every other nation in the world, though, pretty much had some sort of ruler. There was some government structure that led to an individual whose rule was law, who could say anything and it was done. And Israel was not that way. Um, Israel uh, tended to be ruled and governed more on a tribal uh, basis or uh, of, on terms of you know, the, the tribes that they were separated into or the cities where they lived. And that's kind of how justice was handled and they, people ensured that they followed the rules of God's commands. Um, and then every once in a while, God would raise up judges. And judges would serve to, uh, in significant events, to hand out justice, to make sure justice was done in Israel. And occasionally, many of them would even serve as a military leader for Israel. Um, But the problem was, not all these judges were great. Um, Sometimes they would be corrupt, and they would be bad. They would be awful. And Israel wanted, instead, 
a human king to take the place of these corrupt judges. So these judges weren't always good people. Um, the last major judge we get mentioned is Samuel. That's why we're in the book of uh, 1 Samuel. And so we get this guy, Samuel, who actually turns out to be an incredible man of God. He actually serves Israel as both a, a judge, a priest, and a prophet. And Israel, uh, Samuel served Israel many, many years. And when he got older, he tried to institute um, some new judges so that Israel would be taken care of after he was gone. And that's where we're going to get into our story today. Sorry, there's a lot of background, but uh, that sets up our story for today in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. When's the last time somebody came up to you and said, Behold, you are old? Uh, that's a, I love that bold guys there. But anyway, so Samuel uh, tries to institute some judges throughout Israel, and he makes two of his sons judges at the very southern tip of Israel, and they don't uphold justice the way Samuel did. In fact, rather than caring about the people and giving justice to the people of Israel, what they do is they just basically uh, favor whoever's got the most money to give them. And this is a painful situation, and everybody could see that they were corrupt. And so the elders of Israel got together knowing that the, the judges really hadn't always been good people. And they came to Samuel and said, here's is a problem. These judges being corrupt is a problem. And you're a great guy, but you're old, and you're not going to be here very long. So we need another solution. And so, um, now, one thing that's so interesting is that the road away from being holy, the road away from being who God wants people to be, wants us to be, the road to being conformed is often started because you see a very real problem that needs addressed. In the same way, uh, a lot of believers will turn down a road that leads to being conformed, that leads to us compromising what we believe in because of a very real problem in it that we really think needs to be addressed. Um, now, I want to talk about what I think is one of the biggest areas in our cultural currents that I think Christians are getting caught up in, that is leading us to be compromised, that is leading us to be conformed to our culture's standard, to our culture's way of looking at things. And it's politics. That was their kind of problem, and I think that is our problem. Politics and wanting to see the world through a strictly or mostly political lens. And I know that this is a sensitive topic, and some of you are probably already clicking away as I speak. But it's crazy how easy it is for us to get swept up in this stuff right now, the way our, our culture is and the way uh, the, the kind of the... Just the, the temperature on everything. Everybody seems to be angry and divided and hostile. And um, so as it's a sensitive topic, maybe it's good that no one's in the room today, but just a few. That means you can't throw any like rotten tomatoes at me or storm the stage with pitchforks and torches. Um, so, but, but here's the thing. It's become a huge problem for the church. And I don't mean our church. I mean like the big C church in our country, the, just the collective grouping of Christians in our country. It has become a huge 
health issue for the church in our country. It's costing people lifelong friendships. It's Christians uh, who are ruining their credibility to share the gospel. It's filling people's hearts with anger and hatred rather than love and grace. And for so, so many Christians, we've taken to listening to the gospel of politics rather than the gospel of Christ. In fact, I've seen so several Christian leaders um, who kind of try to predict the trends of the church in our country for a various year and kind of tell us what to look out for um, so that pastors like myself can kind of, kind of see what's going on this year and be prepared for the year. And a lot of them are guessing that there's going to be a lot of ministers who lose their job because they are trying to preach the truth of the gospel and they're going to step on people's toes politically speaking. And they're worried that a lot of guys are going to lose their job for this. Um, I actually have friends who've confided in me saying, I know I need to address this, but I'm scared to because I'm afraid that I might lose my job and I'm afraid what that means for me trying to take care of my family and provide for them. Now, let me say again, the reason why this pull to conform to a political viewpoint is so strong for so many of us is that it started out with us seeing a problem, with us feeling that there was injustice existing in our society and certain places in our culture. And it's not hard to look around our country and see some really serious problems and to feel really strongly about them, some things that rightly need to be corrected. And what has happened is politics has kind of muscled its way to kind of the center stage of our culture and, and so many of our lives, as a matter of fact. And what we see when we turn on our TVs is politics. When we open social media, it's politics. We even try to sometimes escape that by getting, turning on a show that we get want to be entertained by or reading a book or looking at memes. And man, politics shows up in every one of those places as well. And so for many Christians... The incredible, incredibly common response has been, as they've seen problems in the country that exist that do need to be dealt with, was to cling to a certain political party uh, and to kind of align themselves with those current, that, that, that current of perspective that that political party produces. And so the party that appears to care about those injustices that you care about, it's really easy to hop on board with them and to believe that those politicians, oh, they say that they promise that they're going to fix all the injustices. And so we kind of want to believe that. And so we align ourselves with them. And the more we fill our eyes and our ears with the, the message of our favorite party, the more and more we start to have our thinking and our behavior shaped. And we get to a point where the main influencing force in our lives, the main directing force in our life is not God, but the news outlet or the political experts that kind of have the, the same belief system that we do, that share our preferred views. And I get that many of you are hearing this today, and you're wishing that you were here in the room so that you could say, but Anthony, how can I not go all in with red or with blue? Uh, have you seen the evil that exists across the aisle? And that's part of it right there. This idea, that this feeling that we're on the side of good, and the other side is evil. And so that it's this much bigger than life battle of good versus evil. And, and so we want to fight then. We want to get irritated. We want to go all in because we want to destroy evil. We naturally want to attack and fix those injustices. But as we do that, what happens is we get so involved with this cultural thing. And believe me, politics of the day, that is a cultural, man-made thing. We get so group, uh, wrapped up in our political party's views that we start to drift away from who God wants us to be. Now that everyone's angry, let's carry on. So the Israelites were tired of suffering over, under this unjust guidance of selfish 
greedy judges. And they wanted to make a change. So let's keep going in verse 5, the second half of verse 5. So they told Samuel, they said to him, they said, You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when he said, when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So Israel wanted a human king. They didn't want to be a different kind of nation. They didn't want an invisible God with their main ruler. And this started, again, because of a real problem. They were suffering. People were hurting under unjust judges who didn't give justice to the people who needed it, but to the rich and the powerful. And so they had corrupt judges, and they went looking for a solution. The problem was they didn't look to God for the solution. They looked in the world, at the world in which they lived. And that's often when conformity happens. Conformity happens when we look to our world for direction instead of God. And we'll see this phrase repeated several times if you read the rest of the story. It happens first in the passage we just read where they say, we want to be like the nations. Give us a king like the nations. They were looking around and saying, we're different than everybody else. We got all these judges and they're all corrupt. Maybe if we had a singular king who held everyone accountable, maybe then things would be different. It seems to work for everyone else. Maybe it would work for us. And so they saw their current system was broken. And they naturally looked for a solution. The other nations have a king. We want one. But that wasn't what God wanted for them. Now, one thing that has been so wild to watch over the last few years was to see how many Christians who have spent years and years, almost a lifetime, kind of in the same worldview, living in the kind of the same belief system, get so separated, end up so far apart um, because of how uh, we've responded to the different political events of the last number of years. There are people who grew up in the same towns, you know, went to the same schools, have gone to the same church their whole lives, who, again, probably voted for the same people most of the elections. And then in the last five years, there's been this shift where two different people who were so well aligned most of their life have ended up on different sides of so many things because they just, when the, they looked and saw different problems and they clung to the party that would fix their respective problem and they started drifting towards that aspect of culture. And at which side you went with, again, depended on which problem was most present in your eyes, which one broke your heart the most. Um, some people have been bothered Um, by and even frightened by uh, the part of culture where truth seems to be becoming flexible, uh, where things change given on the whims and the outrage of others sometimes. And those people have tended to align themselves with the political right because they claim to be the party that upholds traditional a more traditional understanding of truth. And then there's some who've been bothered by the part of culture that has been graceless and unaccepting and dismissive of certain marginalized people groups in our country. And so those people oftentimes have tended to align themselves with the political left because they claim to be the party of the poor, the forgotten, the abused. And I'll be honest, I think you can be a Christian and be a Democrat or Republican. I do not think that is a salvation-defining trait for us, at least it doesn't have to be. But when we allow our political parties to be our main influence in our lives, our beliefs, our perspectives, and when it's the main driving force that's shaping our thought, that is a surefire road that leads to conformity. And the worst part is that so many of us don't even see it. It's so 
slow sometimes. It's been pretty accelerated the last number of years. But overall, it's not a overnight transition. It's a slow, slow change. And so many Christians do not understand how far they've strayed from living like Jesus because they believe they are fighting the good, right fight that perfectly uh, aligns with their faith. Um, and, and again, you may be right about the problem that you've seen. The problems that exist in our culture are real. They need to be addressed. The, these are injustices that are worth fixing. But we are looking to the wrong place to find a savior. And what we've ended up with is Christians who look not like Jesus, but exactly like everyone else in our culture. We have Christians who are extremely polarized in their view. I heard somebody call it the other day, um, extreme views without empathy, meaning I'm right, everyone else is wrong, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We have Christians who are angry, who are vulgar, who have lost all ability to have civilized conversations, who get on social media and make comments that are so disgusting from the standpoint of how we're supposed to live according to uh, the grace of Jesus. Um, People who who do things and say things that I think are flat-out embarrassing, and we feel like we're on the right side of it. Um, people who claim to be that way because of the faith that they hold. And that is so upsetting at times. Um, because as I read a lot of these comments, I don't know if you know this, but and I, this is a tough pill for me to swallow at times, but sarcasm and snide remarks, those aren't fruit of the Spirit. And yet, I, you know, that's kind of where we tend to go anymore. We have Christians who are consumed with their side being in power, with their side being in control and having the right to make all the decisions. We have Christians who look at those they disagree with and no longer hope for God's grace and salvation for those people. But instead, those people, uh, we want them defeated and even destroyed, gone from our lives. You know, one of the defining traits, sadly, of, I think, 21st century Christianity has been that we have chosen the godly, over, or we have chosen the worldly, excuse me, over what is godly. One of the saddest things that is going to, uh, I think, define this era of the American church is that we have consistently chosen the worldly over the godly. I think years from now, Christians are going to look back on this time as a time of shame when we got our our sights so off base. Um, We got caught up in real problems, but we chose the wrong solutions for it. And what's interesting, when the Israelites do it, God tells Samuel that they have rejected me. He's like, this, this, this decision to leave my will and to do what everyone else is doing, that's a rejection of my way. Conforming to the world is a rejection of God. And again, it often starts with seeing a very real problem. And because we focus on trying to fix that problem, trying to address some injustice that needs to be addressed, we fail to see how far we're drifting from God because our eyes are just laser focused on the problem and maybe even people on the other political side that we think are part of the problem. And Christians are not supposed to be consumed with anger or hatred toward others. We aren't meant to be consumed with fear about who's the, which political party is in charge. Um, you see in the New Testament, um, the, the people that were in charge of the government were way scarier than the people that are in charge of our government. They were way more of a real and present danger to them than those that are in charge of our government are or have been in charge of our government. And yet those Christians were fearless, and they kept clinging to Jesus as their hope through it all. We weren't meant to be filled with fear about which political party was in control of a given moment. We, were, we aren't supposed to desire power for ourselves or, or our side. We aren't supposed to wish for the downfall of others. And yet so many 
many of us who come to church, who claim to be followers of Jesus, have become so unlike Christ, and we don't even know it because it was a journey that was made with slow, constant nudges of the culture we've surrounded ourselves with. And yet that's one of the fights that we are supposed to make, fighting against the nudge of culture, fighting against the temptation to be conformed. In Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect you see when we are looking at any aspect of our culture and letting that be the guiding uh, thing that grows and shapes our way, the way we think we are not seeing good accurately in order to see what is good and what is evil in the proper way, we need to let the will, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God shape our perspective, shape our thoughts, shape our hearts. We must resist being conformed and strive daily, every single day, to be con- transformed by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us who are believers. Now, again, we can care about the same problems. I'm not saying you've got to If you're a Republican, I'm not telling you to become a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, I'm not telling you to become a Republican. I don't want you to turn a blind eye to the injustices that are important to you. But don't let the world convince you that it offers the real solution, the ultimate solution. Anything in our world, don't let anything convince you that it's going to be the savior that you need. Don't let a political party or a politician convince you into thinking that they will be the savior of the world and that they will be the fixer of all the problems. We already have a savior. We already have a fixer who offers something better than any culture on earth could ever come up with. And if you've read the gospels in the New Testament, what you're going to notice is that Jesus comes into the world and he did not attack the problems of the world the way anyone else did. When there were people who were seen as unclean or bad and culture shoved them off to the side, Jesus ran to those people. When there were people who were who were supposedly the upright, the moral. Jesus had the harshest words for those people. He did not act the way anyone else acted. He did not respond the way anyone else responded. He was totally unique. And some people loved it. Some people were confused by it. And some people absolutely hated it. But there was no denying that Jesus was different. And as his people, we must seek not our way, not culture's way, but his way, his solutions. And to start by protecting our minds from the constant nudge of culture, the constant push to conform and to compromise, we must ensure that our main influence is not news or some blog, but rather the word of God, which has the power to shape us from the depths of our very souls. Do not reject God the way Israel did with a desire to conform. Strive to be transformed. Cling to him. Trust him and humbly let yourself be molded and sanctified by our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your constant presence in our life. I pray that we do not reject the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of us because we're caught up listening to the loud voices of our culture. 
And we live in one of the loudest times ever. There are so many avenues for, for various belief systems and perspectives to bombard our thoughts and to get a hold of us and try to shape what we think and what we believe. But I pray, Father, that we would be people that know, no, our, our, our center, our focus, our foundation is Christ. And everything that we do and say and believe has got to start with Jesus, has got to start with, with your word. And I pray, Father, that, that we would be able to humble ourselves and take an honest look and realize maybe there's ways that all of us have, have been conformed to the, to the world we live in. And then it's not just politics. There's so many other ways that we could be conformed. And I just pray that we would fight against that and be people who desire more than anything to be transformed, to be like Jesus. And that requires admitting that there's parts of us that aren't great ways of thinking, patterns of behavior that need to be uh, done away with. And I just pray that we could be humble enough to do that, that we can walk away from this dualistic, my side against your side perspective that our culture is constantly trying to bait us into, this my side against your side fight that our culture wants us to step up and get involved with. We're meant to be different. And we're not meant to be shaped by Republican policies or Democratic policies or smooth-talking politicians and, and, and you know, somebody who's got a, a nice personality who's very persuasive. We are meant to be shaped by you. And I pray that we would remind ourselves of that daily and look out into our world and say, no, I'm not here to be conformed to the likeness of the world. I'm here to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus so that I can carry out his mission in the world. That is a huge thing that we need to be um, very, very devoted to day in and day out. And I just pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.